Well, good evening. It's uh, wonderful to be here. It's a special occasion. Um, you can obviously hear news got out that I'd be preaching. Uh, <laughs> no. Um, no, wonderful to see the response uh, from, from Heritage in Johannesburg. Uh, we're excited with you, with uh, Pastor Rian being able to come here full-time with his family. And so this is something of a, an induction, just a formal acknowledgement that he is, has been called and that he is the pastor here. He's not been ordained as a pastor. He's been a pastor for many years. Um, but this is just a, an acknowledgement, uh, a time to give thanks to the Lord, and also just to reinforce uh, what God calls a pastor to be uh, from, from his word. And then I also have some points for the congregation, just in case you thought you could uh, get away without any responsibility. So the title for the sermon, I'm not sure, yes, the, the pastor, the church, and their responsibilities. And so I have six points, that's not very biblical, six is not the best number, but uh, three, three for the pastor and three for the congregation. And so when it comes to the pastor, and uh, so don't, don't think you can switch off. Uh, these are things that uh, if maybe some of you here desire to go into ministry uh, that are, are biblical requirements that God calls you to. And also, uh, you, we don't want to leave Heritage Potchefstroom with only one pastor. The biblical model is always a plurality of, of elders, a plurality of pastors. Uh, and so this is what you want to look for as well, as Lord willing, God raises up more uh, elders, more pastors. So <clears throat> I thought I'd do something a little bit different, uh, looking at the role of the pastor through the paradigm of prophet, priest, and king. Prophet, priest, and king. And uh, so those are three Old Testament offices, prophet, priest, and king, and uh, each one of them, you, you obtain that office or, or in, inducted into that office by anointing. And uh, it was not possible to have all three offices in the Old Testament. Uh, you had someone like David who was a king and a prophet, but the Lord was very clear that none of the kings were allowed to be priests. And when one of the kings tried to do the sacrifices, the Lord struck him down with leprosy. Uh, you do have others who, like Melchizedek, who was a priest uh, and a king, but uh, we're not told that he was a prophet. It's only when we come to the Lord Jesus Christ that we have all three offices in one person. Jesus Christ is the ultimate prophet, priest, and king. But the New Testament also shows us that every Christian, every child of God, every true child of God is a small letter prophet, priest, and king in secondary sense. So when you hear the word prophet, don't think someone who prophesies the future or something like that. Uh, but think of someone who instructs, who brings God's word to bear. That's the duty of every single Christian. Uh, it doesn't matter your gender. It doesn't matter how old you are. If you're a child of God, uh, we all have an obligation to bring God's word to bear. We're all priests in that we intercede for one another and pray for one another and pray for the lost, and sacrifice for one another. And we're all kings in the sense that we all have spheres or domains that we, we rule over. 
and people that we are to, to shepherd and care for. And so I want to look at uh, the role of a pastor with that paradigm. Hopefully it will be helpful, maybe a little bit different. Uh, I, I find it helpful. So at the very least, I found it helpful. <laughs> so the first one is uh, responsibilities of the pastor. And so for, for Rian, uh, is as a prophet, and very importantly, as I just said, don't think someone who prophesies a future, who has revelations and dreams and says, you know, the Lord told me this and this. And uh, that's not the type of prophet we're talking about. But someone who brings God's word. And this is really the primary aspect of a pastor. A pastor is called to proclaim God's word. Paul writes in 2 Timothy 4 verse 4, uh, to, so he's writing to Timothy. He says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus. I want you to hear the language that is used here. Paul couldn't have used stronger language. He's commanding, he's charging Timothy in the presence of God. So just think of this. It's a command that's given uh, as though God is there. And Jesus Christ, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing, and his kingdom. And what is the command? With all these witnesses, all these uh, sort of pressures, one could say, preach the word. And so the most important thing, the greatest command that's given to pastors is to preach the word. God himself bears witness to this. Uh, preaching the word is not just a fun thing to do, or if you're a narcissist and you like public speaking or something like that, uh, God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ bear witness that preaching the word is, is what a pastor is called to do, to proclaim the scriptures. He is to be ready in season and out of season. So when preaching is popular, when people like it, and also when they don't. And so there will be those seasons when People are not happy, maybe, with the preaching. Maybe preaching is out of fashion. Um, that's quite a common thing that people talk about now. Don't, we even use that phrase, don't we? Don't preach at me. Uh, don't tell me what to do. And there have been all these um, statistics that saying that preaching is going to die, that dialogue is the way forward, that preaching is, is, is gone. But, of course, that's not true. Uh, I think people are downloading more sermons than ever before. Uh, and so, praise God, there is still a desire for, for preaching. But God forbid, but if it did ever happen that uh, people at Heritage Potchestrom did not enjoy preaching anymore, well, the command to Rian is preach the word, whether people like it or not, uh, whether it makes you popular or not, preach the word. And what is the preaching to involve? Is it just to encourage people to, be, to live your best life now? Uh, just motivational speaking? No. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. And so the pastor is called to be patient. Uh, it, it, sometimes I think, I'm not going to say that in my sermon. I said that about two years ago as though people really listen and uh, can remember what I said two years ago. <laughs> uh, so then I have to remind myself, no, be patient. Keep preaching the same things over and over and over again. I think I heard a research that says it takes about 
40 repetitions before people really get something. Okay? So with patience, uh, it might be clear in, in, in the pastor's mind, but it's not always clear in everyone else's mind. And so with patience, continue to preach God's word. Paul, uh, earlier on, he said to Timothy in chapter 2 of 2 Timothy, verse 15, he says to him, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. So as we saw, he is not to preach um, the latest book that he's read. He's not to preach the latest movie that he's read. He is to preach the word of God. You can use illustrations and all of that. That's different. But the ultimate message is to preach the word of God. And here Paul says to Timothy that he must do his best. Some translations say make every effort. So in order to preach faithfully, it requires effort. It requires hard work. He is to present himself. That's the language from Romans 12. Offer yourself a living sacrifice. It's Old Testament language. It's an act of worship. A pastor is to present himself to the Lord. He is to make every effort to present himself as a vessel of honor to the Lord, to be used by God, to be fighting sin, to be fighting secret sin, hidden sin, culturally acceptable sins. Present himself to the Lord as one approved, one who has been tested, a worker. That's one of the things about being a pastor is that you don't have a visible boss. Uh, there is not you know, someone above the pastor who checks up on the pastor. Of course, God sees, and God is the ultimate boss, uh, but you know that we don't always think in those categories. That's why we sin. We, don't, we forget that God is there with us. And so it is easy to, to be lazy. It is easy to rely on your four, five, three, four, five, six years of study that you did ten years ago because already you know more than everyone in the congregation. So you can just coast on that. You know a little bit of Greek, which is 100% more than anyone else knows. <laughs> and every now and then you can throw out a word, so just to remind people. Uh, but that is not the attitude that God calls a pastor to, to have. He is to be a hard worker. And of course, people are different, have different giftings, different abilities, different dispositions. Timothy himself was a weak man, a sickly man. And so no doubt was not able to achieve the output that the Apostle Paul was able to achieve. And that's, that's a different thing. But we understand what laziness is. And so the, the pastor is to work and to remember that he's working as unto the Lord. He's presenting himself to the Lord who has no need to be ashamed. Now earlier on, Paul had told Timothy, he said, I don't want you to be ashamed of me because I'm in jail. And so it seems that Timothy had battled with a, a sense of, of fear and courage. He had seen his mentor, his father in the faith, being thrown in jail and had made him afraid and ashamed to be associated with Paul, perhaps. And so Paul has to say, don't be ashamed of me and, and uh, provoke him to, to be courageous. But here this shame is not to do it with courage at all. It has to do with being ashamed at not understanding the Bible. 
rightly handling the word of truth, a worker who has no need to be ashamed. So very interesting. Might be a pastor who has wonderful character, uh, fulfills all the criteria with respect to, to, to character, maybe is a very gifted, very eloquent speaker, but cannot understand the Bible properly, and so that brings shame. And so uh, for every pastor, there needs to be continuous study. You never stop studying, never stop growing. It's like doctors and those in IT, I presume. Uh, Technology is always advancing. You can't say, when I was at, at school, I did two years of computer studies. We did a program language called GW Basic. I don't know if that means anything to anyone. <laughs> See, it probably doesn't exist anymore. Uh, languages are always changing. You, you can't say, well, I studied 30 years ago computers, so now I'll just carry on. No, you'll be out of a job. And so it is with doctors. They always have to keep up to, to date with the latest procedures and the latest medication. Continuous study. The same with the pastor. Continuous study that you're learning that I'm not ashamed when it comes to unpacking the Word of God. That I understand what is going on. Rightly handling the Word of Truth. Literally, the Greek means, there it is, you see, I did. <laughs> <laughs> means cutting it straight. Uh, and uh, the clever people who write commentaries think that he's probably referring to Roman engineering. So uh, it's at the time of the Roman Empire, and the Romans, are, if nothing else, they're famous for their roads. Okay? Uh, many of those roads still exist to this day, some 2,000 years later. And so the idea is they're engineering. They, they knew what they were doing. They knew how to make a straight road. And so Paul is, just as much as engineering has to be exact, you can't be you know, sort of carefree when you make a bridge. Uh, it has to be exact. It has to follow engineering principles. That's what Paul is saying to Timothy here. Make sure when you unpack God's word, when you explain it, when you study it and see what it's saying, that you cut it straight. In 2 Corinthians, Paul says this to, to uh, the church at Corinth, 2 Corinthians 2 verse 17. We are not like so many peddlers of God's word. But as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. Unfortunately, in, in South Africa, uh, there are many who enter ministry to make a living. So I'm not really succeeding, so what I'll do is start a church. Okay? Uh, start a church on their street corner. And here Paul is saying, we're not here, we're not peddlers of God's word. We're not just selling something, just trying to make a, make a living. But as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God, okay, we believe that Pastor Rian has been commissioned by God. All true pastors have been commissioned by God. What a, what a, an, a, a, an awful thought. <laughs> And what I mean by that is not terrible thought, but it, w it should fill one with awe. Spurgeon said this, he said, 
I think he was talking about his, I think about his son. And um, I think his son also was a pastor. And he said how, dis- how, how disappointed he would be if his, if his son stepped down from being a pastor to become king of England. Okay. Because he realized what a high calling it, it was to be in ministry. Commissioned by God, in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. Later on in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 2, he says, But we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. It's a real temptation to tamper with God's word. Pastors are human. Pastors get hurt. And it's easy to use the pulpit as a place to get back at people, to have personal vendettas, to try and uh, use the pulpit as a way to get what we want. The faithful pastor has to fight that and reject that, and that's what Paul is saying here. We, we, we don't practice underhanded ways. We don't use the pulpit for our own agenda. We don't use it to build our own kingdom or to get back at people. We don't practice cunning. We don't tamper with God's word. Skipping parts that we don't really like. And that's one of the reasons you'll see that, uh, by and large, the preaching at, at Heritage is, is, is lectio continuum. So it, it starts at chapter 1, verse 1 of a book and continues all the way through. And that's to protect pastors from just preaching what they like to preach. Just preaching the easy bits or their hobby horses, but to preach the difficult parts, to give the whole counsel of God, as Paul says. But by, open, by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. The pastor is to clearly proclaim the word of God. We have nothing to hide. Again, Spurgeon said, you know, I don't need to defend the Bible. It's like a lion. All I need to do is release it. Okay. To simply proclaim God's word. Well, that's prophet. Uh, A pastor is called to proclaim God's word. To study. To be clear. To preach the scriptures. Even when people don't like to hear it. What about priest? Well, the pastor is also called to be a priest. To a priest was one who interceded for God's people and also sacrificed animals. And of course, with Jesus, he is the priest and the sacrifice himself. And the New Testament is clear that we are called to, to offer our bodies a living sacrifice, to lay down our own lives as well as interceding for others. And of course, this is especially true for those in, in ministry. Uh, a pastor is called to, to sacrifice many comforts. Uh, to uh, walk roads and bear burdens with, with people. And that's difficult. Uh, when, you're, when people come to you with their, the trials that they're facing, with the losses that they've experienced, with their sins that they've committed, confessing their sins to you. And then you know the consequences of those sins, how they've, uh, those sins will bring about 
a knock-on effect in other areas of life or effects in relationships or whatever it is. And you can't harden yourself to that. You have to bear those burdens. And it's, it's a privilege to be able to do that. But of course, it's, it's costly. In an article I read recently, uh, Lifeway Research in America, they, they researched sort of a thousand churches and they found that the number one idol amongst Christians is comfort. Comfort. If we want comfort, uh, and it's true of pastors as well, uh, want to have a comfortable life. But for the Christian, that's not an option, isn't that right? Because we're called to bear one another's burdens and it's not an option for the pastor. It's for a season... We will enjoy eternal comfort. Uh, we have the comfort of a clear conscience. We have the comfort of our sins forgiven. Uh, but it is weighty to bear one another's burdens. And so the, the pastor is to be a priest. He is to be one who prays, who intercedes for, for God's people. It's interesting in the book of Acts, uh, chapter 6, when they, they have some problems in the early church, and that's where they... Most commentators or many commentators think that's where the, the sort of office of, of deacon begins. Uh, but the apostles say this, look, we, we, can't, we can't stop what we're doing to deal with these, these more practical issues. So we'll, we'll ask the church to find godly men. But we, verse 4 says, we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. So the pastor is to be a man of prayer, praying for for God's people, bringing the needs before the Lord. And so the, prophet, the, the pastor is to be a prophet and a, and a priest. And a king. And all of these are small letter, okay, uh, because the ultimate king, of course, is the king of kings, the Lord Jesus Christ. And what is a king supposed to do? A king was supposed to rule and to protect. To rule and protect and what we find in Scripture is this image of a shepherd king. A shepherd king. Contrary to the ancient Near Eastern monarchs who were tyrants, who were very thin-skinned, felt easily threatened, were quick to say, off with his head. <laughs> uh, contrary to that is the true king, the good king, the Lord Jesus Christ, who serves. And so here we're not talking, the language is not one of a tyrant or a bully. In fact, that's what the false apostles were in, in 2 Corinthians. They were bullies. They abused God's people. The pastor is not to abuse God's people or bully God's people. He is to protect them. But he is to rule over them. 1 Timothy 5.17 says, Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. And so uh, the pastor has authority given by God. Uh, God has in his wisdom given hierarchical structures because society needs that, otherwise there is chaos. And so Rian is to rule, but he is to rule well. Titus, Paul writes to Titus, chapter 2, verse 15, he says to him, declare these things, he's, he's gone through whole list. Exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. Let no one disregard you. So uh, 
the pastor, the faithful pastor, is not to allow people to disregard him. Uh, if Rian, you know, wants to be a people pleaser, this is the wrong job, okay? <laughs> you cannot be a faithful pastor and a people pleaser. You have to be faithful to the Lord. You have to be a God pleaser and be faithful to what he says. Now, this is not to do with personal uh, style or things that Rian likes, that he has to enforce that on everyone. You all have to support his rugby team or uh, whatever it is, that no one must disregard him when it comes to that. No, this is to do with what the Scriptures say, to enforce what the Scriptures say, what the Word of God teaches. Another word that is used in Scripture just to reinforce this is overseer and also manager. The pastor is to manage the congregation, to see that the moving parts work together. And so these are the, some of the callings that God places upon a pastor, some of the responsibilities, prophet, priest, and king. Now, as I go through this, I'm like, whoa, this is heavy. I think I'm going to resign right now. <laughs> uh, but in one's own strength, it's impossible to be all of these things. Even the apostle Paul says, I haven't yet attained. Paul says, I haven't got it all together. In fact, without the grace of God, it's impossible. But the good news is that as God's people and as pastors who know the Lord, God's grace is sufficient. It's able to empower uh, Rian to do and fulfill these responsibilities. And then to you, the congregation, your responsibilities, and specifically with respect to, to your pastor. And so I have three, three points, three S's. Uh, submit, support, and sharpen. Submit, support, sharpen. And so the first one, submit to. Um, told you already that the, the true pastor is a king and, and has authority and is to rule and people are not to disregard him. The congregation is to submit to a pastor as long as he is faithful to God's word. I remember all submission is is as long as we're not called to, to sin. And especially for a pastor, as long as the pastor is not teaching error or living in an ungodly way that disqualifies him. But if he is faithfully proclaiming God's word, growing in holiness, not perfect, no, no pastor is perfect, then the congregation is to submit to him. The writer of Hebrews says this in chapter 13, verse 17. It says, Obey your leaders and submit to them. For they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. It's quite a remarkable passage if you unpack it. Uh, on Judgment Day, pastors are going to have to give an account of the members of their churches. And as they go through the list, they're going to say, well, but this person here, 
I can't give a joyful report. I give it with groaning. This person was difficult. This person refused to submit, was always contentious, was divisive, never did anything with joy. Every sermon there was an email complaining. Every meeting they had something to say. Never anything positive. They never saw the good. We're not saying that there's no place for criticism. We'll get to that with sharpening. This is not a tyranny or an absolute, we just submit whatever he says. No, 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 no. But if, if the pastor is faithfully teaching God's word, seeking to love God, love the church, then there is a responsibility to be a terrible thing on judgment day to hear, wait, the report about you is one of, is given with groaning. And so a challenge to the congregation. And it's always visiting preachers can talk like this because we know nothing. <laughs> so I can say all these things. I don't know. I'm not preaching at anyone or thinking of anyone. I don't even know. Uh, but it's worthwhile to examine yourself. Are you a person who's always complaining, who is rebellious? What, how would people characterize you? The congregation is called to obey their leaders and submit to them. The second responsibility is to support their pastor. And in many ways, first of all, to pray for your pastor. Uh, the devil is always out to destroy God's people. And um, there's a reason now that those in the military don't wear their insignia when they go into battle. So it used to be that, you know, whatever rank you were, you would wear that insignia as you went into battle. But eventually they realized that's not a good idea uh, because the opposition said, well, there's, there's the leader. If we get him, they'll be like a headless chicken, that unit. They won't know what to do. And so they don't wear their insignia anymore in, in a battle situation because of that. But of course, Satan knows who the leaders are. Satan knows who the pastors are. And of course, if he can destroy them, destroy their families, it brings confusion. Uh, if he can, like he did, we see the Lord Jesus saying, they will smite the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. So pray for your pastor's um, I'm not someone to say, well, you know, pastoral ministry is the hardest job in the world or anything like that. Uh, but it does have unique challenges that, that are unique to pastoral ministry that are not found in any other situation. So pray for him. Pray for his family. Pray for his wife. Pray for his children. Care for them. See how you're able to support them. To encourage them. Not flattery. Flattery is just being dishonest. It's lying. But to encourage. Another way that you're commanded to support is to support financially. 1 Corinthians 9 verse 7 says this. Paul says, Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard without eating any of its fruit? Or who tends a flock without getting some of the milk? Do I say these things on human authority? 
Does not the law say the same? For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. Is it for oxen that God is concerned? Does he not speak entirely for our sake? It was written for our sake, because the plowman should plow in hope, and the thresher thresh in hope of sharing in the crop. If we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? He continues with this argument. See what he's saying? It is right to to support those who labor in preaching and teaching. He writes to the Galatians, the one who is taught, Galatians 6.6, 6, the one who is taught the word must share all good things with the one who teaches. It is, it is to, to, to rob, if you are fed, if you're a member of, of Potchefstroom and you are being fed spiritually, you are being taught and you're not paying for it, you're not giving back for it, that is robbing. You can go and read 1 Corinthians 9. The passage we read earlier says those elders who, who labor in preaching and teaching are worthy of double honor. Okay. And so it is right to support your, your pastor. Uh, none of you would enjoy studying for four years, getting a degree, doing your work for free. <laughs> okay. And so it's the same idea. Those who labor, who spend their whole week studying God's word, <clears throat> learning what it says, and then prepare a sermon every week, trying to figure out what the text says. How, how does this apply to people now in this context in the 21st century in Potchefstroom? How does it apply to students and parents and children? How does it point to Christ? How do, how do we see the gospel in this? Every week, week in, week out. And so it is to, to provide for your pastors. And then lastly, you have to sharpen them. To sharpen them. And so this is to, to make sure they remain faithful. Uh, the congregation has a responsibility. As Baptists, we don't believe that uh, the pastor is just a tyrant and, and everyone else has no say. We are congregational. Uh, the congregation has, you can read the Constitution, has power to, to remove unfaithful pastors. Other denominations, they don't, they're not able to do that. It's far more hierarchical, top-down, that there's a bishop or an apostle or a pope or whoever who decides, and that's it. It doesn't matter whether you like him or not, that's the way it is. But we don't see that as the biblical model. And so you're also, like the Bereans, to study God's word to see, is, is this true? Is what he is proclaiming faithful to Scripture? Not to be cynical or untrusting, or always criticizing, no, but also to, to check, keep a watch, to see, wait a minute, he's, there's, there's something not right, is he okay? To check up on him, too, to ensure that he remains faithful to God's word. And you can see this with the example of Paul's letter to the Corinthians. Paul tells the church at Corinth that they're responsible for the bad leaders that they have. Now, Lord willing, that will never happen. Uh, 
pray that that will never happen at, at uh, Heritage. But you have a responsibility. You have a responsibility to care for your pastors. You have a responsibility to pray for them, to submit to them, to support them, and to sharpen them, to make sure they remain faithful to God's word. Well, I close, you could say maybe a seventh point, uh, to say that in the midst of all of these things, the Lord is building his church. This is the means that he has chosen. He's chosen to build local churches. This is how he expands his kingdom, through the building of local churches. That's why we wanted to plant a church, and we want to plant more churches. And uh, I know that's the heart of of Rian as well. Uh, Lord willing, Potchestrom Church can plant their own church. Who knows where? Maybe another country. That would be amazing. Maybe sending a missionary out. Uh, But that passion must be to plant other churches. That is what God has called us to do, to make disciples. And the vehicle that God uses is to build and plant local churches. 1 Timothy 3, Paul says the church, uh, he calls it the household of God. He says the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. Uh, The church is to be the place where God's truth is lifted up and held up and proclaimed. In Matthew 16, verse 18, uh, the Lord Jesus says this, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The Lord Jesus Christ will build his church. Uh, He uses weak, frail men. He uses weak, frail people. And that's why he gets the glory, because he... He is the one who saves. He is the one who sanctifies. He will build his church. And so I'm going to uh, ask uh, Rian and his family to come forward now and pray for them. really wonderful to see the whole family here. Shame you're not, not doing too well, hey, Deborah? You're okay. <laughs> uh, so praise the Lord for that. I found here a wonderful prayer for pastors, and uh, so I'd like to pray two prayers. Uh, one um, um, is not my own, uh, for, for Rian, but I thought it's a profound and beautiful prayer for, uh, for those in ministry. And then to pray for uh, the whole family as well. Uh, so please won't you join me in, in praying. Almighty God, creator of heaven and earth, you who spoke this universe into being by your powerful word, you who have given us a message of life for this broken world, a world that has turned its back on you and has turned against you, You who have given us, as your preachers, the message of life and hope and salvation and forgiveness. We come this evening to set apart this man for the spread and the proclamation of this good news, this gospel. As we set him apart, we pray that you would set apart every component of his being. 
set apart his eyes, equip them to see Christ in all of Scripture, to see the richness, the glorious beauty of the Lord Jesus Christ. Set apart his lips to speak the truth with boldness and clarity, to proclaim the truth with wisdom and gentleness, to display to all who hear both their need of the Savior and the beauty of the Savior, both the seriousness of sin and the wonder of salvation. Grant him the fluency of speech, the richness of vocabulary, the speed of thought, the clarity of expression, everything that is required to convey, convey the sweet beauty of the gospel, the awful ugliness of sin, and the eternal realities of heaven and hell. Grant him the lips and tongue that he needs. Set apart his ears to hear what you have to say to him by your spirit, to hear the needs of the congregation, to hear the hidden sorrows of their hearts, to hear the burdens of the community around him, to hear your guiding ways in his shepherding. Set apart his heart so that it beats with warmth and love, love for the lost, warmth for the precious blood-bought people of Christ whom you have entrusted to him. May he go out to seek and to find the lost, and may he shepherd well the people that lie so richly and preciously on his Savior's heart. Grant him something of the heart of the Lord Jesus Christ as it beats even now in heaven. Set apart his backbone to stand strong and firm for the truth. A firmness of resolve as your word comes under attack from so many different directions. Grant him the tenderness of heart to hold out the truth winsomely and the steel of strength to stand firm in the face of an onslaught. Set apart his knees May he be often on his knees, seeking the help of your spirit to empower your word as it is proclaimed. May he be on his knees when he comes before your word for the congregation. Set him apart to be on his knees. Set apart his feet that they might be ready to go out amongst his congregation, to visit them, to lead them, to go and find them when they are wandering, to go and look them out when they are hurting. Give him feet like those of a shepherd, shod those feet with the readiness that comes with the gospel of peace, to go out not only to his flock but to the surrounding areas to share the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. Set apart everything you have gifted to this man, heart and mind, body and soul, and fill it with all that he needs to fulfill this glorious task. O Lord, may all that he does be used by you to refresh, to melt, to convict and to comfort. O Lord, before us is a man of dust, he is not able. Around him stand men of dust. We are not able. And so, O oh Lord, we come to the one who is able. And we pray that as we set this man apart, that you by your spirit would make him able for all that you have in store for him, that he would look to you and that this congregation would look to you for this enabling. Father, we ask these things as we set this man apart. In Jesus' name and for his sake and for his glory. Amen. And our second prayer for the whole family. Let's pray together. Oh, Father, what a joy and delight it is to be here. And uh, we thank you so much for this church plant. Uh, you know the ups and downs we've experienced over the years, the hopes and disappointments. Uh, but, Lord, today is a day of rejoicing. We thank you so much for uh, bringing Pastor Rian and his family, family into our lives and calling him to be the pastor here. And Father, we 
We cry out to you that you would be with this precious family. Pray that you would be with Deborah, that you would strengthen her and encourage her and keep her, that she would know your love and your grace as she faces the unique challenges of of being in ministry, of being married to a pastor, and uh, all the concerns that she would know your support, your love, that she would find her ultimate identity in you, Lord Jesus. Pray that you would keep them as a couple and grow them in their love for you, Lord Jesus, and their love for one another. Thank you for their dear children, for Jordan and Alakai. Lord, we pray that you would have mercy upon them and save them in their youth, that they would serve you all the days of their life and that they would be a wonderful encouragement to their parents and to the congregation here. We thank you that you love to save families and that you hear our prayers. And so we commit this whole family into your hands and we commit this congregation into your hands. We pray that it would grow from strength to strength. We pray for more elders to be raised up and for many souls to be saved and that you would preserve this church until you return. In Jesus' name. Amen.